as we get ready to launch into a fall season, I want to give you something this morning. Now, don't get excited. It's not money. What I want to give you is called a holophrasis. Holophrasis. It's a, that's when you use a single word to express a complex thought. A single word can express complex thoughts because words have power. Words have power to wound or to heal. I mean, cruel words said to us as children or teenagers, you know, stupid, ugly, useless, those words stick with us. It still hurts when the memories of those harsh words resurface. Or words of affirmation and love that, that lifted us. Good job. I'm, I'm proud of you. I love you. When we remember those words, it's like a cool, refreshing dip in the ocean on a hot day. Words are powerful. They can defeat you or inspire you. A single word can make the difference as we navigate the ups and downs of life. And so I want to give us a holophrasis this morning. A single word that can be ours individually, but which can also be ours as a whole church family. A word that can unite us and, and give us sustained focus over time. A word that will help us to become all that God wants us to be. A single word that will bring power into our daily living. That will expand our horizons. A, a word that will stimulate our creativity if we really embrace it. A word that will refresh our prayer lives and help us find joy in the journey. That holophrasis that one word is hope. Hope. Hope is such a powerful word. It's an emotive word. It's an emotional word that has the ability to resonate deep within the human heart. I mean, hope. Everybody needs hope. At first, I was actually hesitant to get into what the Bible has to say about hope because that word has been so overused by politicians trying to secure your vote or by advertisers trying to sell you stuff or even by Christian mission groups that want to manipulate you or gain your donations. But as Christians who are committed to the power and the authority of Scripture, hope is a word that is too important to ignore. If our culture drains the word of hope of its full meaning, then we as Christ-loving people, we have to be the ones to recover the biblical meaning because everybody, everybody needs the hope of Jesus Christ. Now at first glance, it's important to realize that the way people commonly use the word hope is radically different from how the Bible talks about hope. Hope in the common vernacular is actually an uncertain word. When we plan a cookout and invite some friends over, you say, you know, I hope it doesn't rain. Hope is used to describe the uncertainty of future events. I, I hope I get that job. I hope she calls me back. I hope my car doesn't run out of gas. Hope is tied to something that we're not too sure about. We want it to happen, but it could go either way. It's a desire we have, an expectation, a dream, a goal, a preferred future, if you will. But it could be just wishful thinking on our part. It's uncertain. In some ways, this kind of hope is a very weak word because disappointment is always kind of lurking right around the corner. It might not happen, so don't get your hopes up. When the Bible speaks of hope, it is talking about something very different than us just wanting something to happen or just desiring something to be true. In the Bible, hope is an assurance, a confidence, an absolute certainty. It is the exact opposite of wishful thinking. It is something with an absolute airtight guarantee, something guaranteed by God himself. That's biblical hope. You see, if we believe that at the center of the universe, at the center of all things is a creator God who loves, a God who loves us like Jesus said he does, who loves us personally and passionately, then it would make sense that this God 
would communicate with us about such an important topic. And Christians believe God does that through the words of the Bible. That's why we take the Bible so seriously. We believe it's God's word to us. Not a magic book, but a library of books written by real people who were guided to write and to edit their words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit so that what we have to read is God's word written. And we, we look at the Bible to discover the truth about God and also the truth about ourselves. And there is no better place to look at the topic of hope than in the New Testament book of 1 Peter, where hope is woven throughout every, uh, each and every chapter. This part of the Bible, 1 Peter, was written as a personal letter written by one of Jesus' closest followers, the Apostle Peter, that arrogant, impetuous disciple whose faith kind of rose out of the ashes of his own failures around the cross. Peter wrote it as a letter that was circulated to other followers of Jesus about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And in those first 30 years, the church experienced exponential growth, reaching throughout the ancient Roman Empire all the way to the capital city of Rome itself. But early Roman historians like Tacitus and Sevenus tell us that that's when things kind of took a dark turn. On July 19th of the year 64 AD, a huge fire broke out in Rome. The entire city was engulfed in flames for three days and nights. Hundreds and hundreds of public buildings were burned to the ground. Thousands upon thousands of people were left homeless and lost everything. And there was no Red Cross back then to help them get back on their feet. Many of their cherished temples and landmarks just kind of vanished into ashes. Smoke blackened the entire city. Historians have concluded that the emperor Nero had the fire set intentionally to destroy the slums of Rome and to give him a chance to erect some palaces and, and monuments that he thought would establish his name in history. It was his version of, of urban renewal. But the fire got out of control and it devastated the whole city. The people of Rome were so traumatized by the fire that they were ready to revolt and overthrow Nero as riots broke out throughout the city. So Emperor Nero quickly looked for a scapegoat, someone that he could blame. Imagine that from a politician, blaming a tragedy on the wrong people so that they wouldn't have to face the heat. Well, there was this new group called Christians who were ripe to take the fall. They followed a man named Jesus who claimed to be a king, and they wouldn't bow down and worship the emperor. Well, Nero didn't like that, and rumors were already flying around that, that they were cannibals. Because in their worship gatherings, they talked about drinking someone's blood and eating someone's body. How sick is that? So Nero started the rumor, the fake news, that the Christians had burned down the city. And he began the very first serious persecution of Christians uh, officially by the Roman Empire. Christians were tied to chariots and dragged through the streets of Rome until they were dead. Nero had Christians arrested, dipped in tar, and he literally burned them alive as torches to light his garden parties. Followers of Christ were thrown to the lions, torn to shreds by packs of half-starved dogs in the Colosseum for sport. Persecution spread out to, from Rome to the other cities. It was an ethnic cleansing. So Christians had to literally run for their lives as refugees, and many of them escaped to what is now modern-day Turkey. And Peter wrote this letter to these terrified Christian people and had the audacity to use the word hope. I mean, we think that we have problems and wonder kind of what kind of hope do we have in life. None of us would trade our situation with what our Christian ancestors were going through. 
And yet his words about hope made sense to them. They experienced hope in a very hard world. Let me read just chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiled, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, uh, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never spoil, fade, or perish. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though for now, for a little while, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. When Peter talks about hope, it's always attached to something. Hope doesn't just exist on its own. Hope has to be in something, something solid. Otherwise, hope is just this cloud that vanishes when you think you need it. For Peter, hope is always attached to Jesus Christ. Hope is in Jesus. And specifically, he says in verse 3, In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, into an inheritance that can never perish. A living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's an important verse, and I hope you have it underlined in your Bible. I hope you'll consider memorizing that verse so that you've kind of got it in your head this year. This verse is going to be kind of the theme verse for the year because it clarifies for us what, what hope really is. What is the kind of hope Peter's talking about? Well, to get a handle on it, we first need to look at hope from kind of a secular human point of view. What hope is in daily life, and, and how do you know if you have hope in your life? What, is, what does hope actually feel like? The best way I can understand it is to use this little ball. It's called a Hoberman sphere. You know, maybe you've seen one before. The largest existing Hoberman sphere is in the atrium of the Liberty Science Center in Jersey City. It expands and contracts with ease. Now think of this as your personal world. When a person has hope, it feels like your world is getting larger. When you have hope, it feels like your personal world is getting bigger. It's expanding. It's growing. If you're a person with hope, it feels like you've got something to look forward to. You see a positive future. And the fact that you can feel like your world is growing, it gives you a sense of strength and confidence. Hope kind of releases energy into your day. You feel more connected to people. Your, your emotions are positive and healthy. You have, a, you have a sense of purpose. You feel positive about yourself. You, you, you feel like you're, you're part of something larger than yourself. When you have hope, people see options and opportunities that you didn't see before. And a hope-filled person is able to be more flexible in how you respond to things. Life isn't perfect, but you can kind of roll with the punches 
because hope pulls you forward and you're able to endure the normal pains and stressors of the day because you believe there is this greater good coming your way. Hope feels like your world is getting larger. Now, if you're without hope, it feels like your world is getting smaller. Your personal world is shrinking. If you're losing hope, you have little or nothing to look forward to. You don't see a positive future. You just see more of the same or maybe worse. And so you have little confidence, little strength. As your world shrinks, your sense of fatigue grows. Does that make sense? A growing world brings energy to your life. A shrinking world drains you of your strength. If you're losing hope, it means you're not connecting to a larger purpose for your life. You don't see a bigger thing. You feel disconnected and alone and isolated lots of negative emotions swirling around. You don't like yourself much, and you don't like other people much either, and so we can start to withdraw when we feel we're without hope. You don't see any options, any good way out, and when you're losing hope, your world is shrinking, and you sort of find yourself in a hole and just kind of stuck there. And so you become rigid and inflexible. When problems come up, you can't bend without breaking. Instead of rolling with the punches, you feel like you're the world's punching bag. Instead of feeling in control of your life, you feel like, you know, you're a ping-pong ball that other people are knocking around. You're not moving forward. You're kind of stopped dead in your tracks. Your world is getting smaller, and that's what it means when you feel like you don't have hope. So just from a purely human, secular, psychological point of view, everyone needs hope. Hope makes all the difference. Uh, take, for example, children who are struggling in school. What does it take to turn a kid around and help them do better in school? I don't know if you know the story of the self-made millionaire Eugene Land. Back in 1981, he was asked to speak to a class of graduating sixth graders at public school 121, the elementary school that he had attended in East Harlem some 50 years earlier. He was going to give them the kind of the typical pep talk and tell them, work hard and you'll succeed. But on the way to the podium, the school principal told him that three-quarters of the students would probably never even finish high school. And that just really shook him up. What could he say to make a difference in the lives of these children who seemed, you know, destined to drop out of school? And so he scrapped his notes, and he just spoke to them from his heart, and he said, stay in school, and I'll help pay the college tuition for every single one of you. And that wasn't an empty promise. You know what happened? Nearly 90% of that class graduated from high school, and 60% went to college or earned advanced technical degrees. Why? I mean, what changed? Same teachers, same textbooks, same neighborhoods, same families. What changed? Suddenly, they saw their world getting bigger. They saw an opportunity. They, for the first time, they had hope. One student said it this way, I had something to look forward to, something waiting for me, it was a golden feeling. That's the power of hope. Dr. Jerome Gropman of the Harvard Medical School saw the impact of hope in his patients, especially the ones who were diagnosed with a serious disease. He writes in his book, The Anatomy of Hope, how people prevail in the face of illness. He writes that patients who had hope responded better to treatment. And I quote, that hope was as important to them as anything uh, he might prescribe as a physician. Dr. Grootman defines hope as the ability to see a path to the future. You're facing dire circumstances and you need to know everything that's blocking or threatening you. And then you see a path or a potential path to get where you want to go. Once you see that, 
there's a tremendous emotional uplift that occurs. I think hope has been, is, and always will be the heart of medicine and healing. We could not live without hope, unquote. That's the power of hope. But here's the problem of just experiencing the human side of hope. It's like every day we're juggling all these various expanding and contracting spheres in our lives. One day at work you feel like things are going great. You see a future for yourself and your company. Uh, you feel like your work world is expanding. But at home there's tension and with your spouse and a problem in your circle of relationships. And the world feels like it's contracting. How do those two things balance out? Or maybe at school you've worked really hard and it's going well on your studies. Uh, your world's getting larger and then you hit your SATs and you do badly and that kind of punches a hole in your academic boat. Your world starts shrinking. How do you find hope there? How do you stay motivated? And on and on and on. We juggle a hundred of these little spheres in our lives every single day. Expanding and contracting all the time. Areas where we feel hopeful, where our world is getting bigger, and areas where we're losing hope, and maybe we feel like we've lost hope altogether. We all need hope, but juggling these little spheres of hope, it's that sum total where our actual hope comes from. And then life actually does feel fairly uncertain. So here's what the living hope in Jesus is all about. There is a hope that's larger than all of our little spheres put together. Jesus, risen from the dead, shows that there's a certainty that we can tap into that supersedes all these little spheres of expanding and contracting hope in our lives. Jesus is the one who is bigger than death and stronger than suffering. And when we recognize who Jesus really is and the power that he possesses, then we can take all our little expanding hopes and contracting disappointments and we sort of put them inside his one big sphere of hope. That's what life is all about. I put my life inside Jesus' life. I take all my smaller, uncertain human hopes and disappointments and see them surrounded by, enveloped by, contained by this larger certainty, this, this hope that is guaranteed by God himself. And that's good news because it means life then doesn't depend solely on my daily experiences of, of expanding or contracting hope. Your life is surrounded by this greater hope of Jesus Christ. And so it's the mo it, that's the most important atmosphere to breathe. His hope is the ocean in which you swim. His hope is the wind that fills your sails. That's the way you and I can experience real hope in a hard world. A hope that gives people the power to persevere in hard times. You see, like these ancient Christians fleeing persecution, either you believe there is a future or you may as well just lay down and die. When you're going through something really difficult like persecution or a job layoff or a medical crisis, you can't just put a smiley face sticker on it and pretend that everything's okay. It's not okay. But there is a greater reality out there, a greater hope that envelops your world. And Christ's living hope releases power. Let me say that again. His living hope releases power. Peter says we are shielded, kept by the power of Christ. And that's a here and now thing. The hope of Christ is not just some future thing. It means that, that a great part of my hope in Christ brings power to me now because Jesus rose from the dead and proved that he was God in the flesh. And so we can confidently live life now and follow him boldly now. We can place 
our lives and our souls in his hands. And you can depend on his love and care. You can experience his wisdom and his direction for your life right now. You can move confidently through the ups and downs of this fickle world because you have this greater hope called Jesus Christ. A great Chinese Christian leader and pastor, Watchman Nee, put it this way in one of his books. It's printed on the back of your bulletin this morning in case you want to cut it out or carry it with you, put it on your refrigerator. He said, outside of Christ, I'm only a sinner, but in Christ I'm saved. Outside of Christ, I am empty. In Christ, I am full. Outside of Christ, I am weak. In Christ, I am strong. Outside of Christ, I cannot. In Christ, I am more than able. Outside of Christ, I have been defeated. In Christ, I am already victorious. Friends, our hope is in Jesus Christ, and he will never fail. You know, people are wondering what's going on in the world today, what's going to happen in the face of all the tensions and pressures and possibilities of terror, of global financial meltdown, of threats to democracy. Where is your hope today? Is it in politicians and elections? Is it in your own abilities, in your own hard work? You know, I trust that your faith is in a greater hope than that. Christ is ready to meet you in the hour of our death. But so much more than that, he's ready to meet you right now in the pressures of the present. Someone once said, where other people see only a hopeless end, the Christian sees an endless hope. If you don't know this greater hope in Jesus, then you're going to struggle all through the days and weeks and months and years ahead. Doing the same old thing, hoping and finding hopes crushed. Your little spheres of hope expanding and contracting every day. Or you place your spheres of hope and disappointment into this larger orb, the hope of Jesus. The only hope that endures forever. A living hope that doesn't fade away. So hope is our holophrasis for this fall. Our one word that expresses a huge, complex, and powerful idea. Hope in something larger than ourselves. Hope in Jesus Christ, alive from the dead, who is the answer to all our broken dreams, all our collapsed hopes. The pressures we may feel from day to day, your fears, your inability to fix the things that you think need to be fixed, we put all of those in Christ and we receive a greater, surer, more confident hope. The only hope that really works in a hard world. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the sure and certain hope that we have in you, not just for some future eternal life, but right here right now, your power and presence. We put all of our lives, everything we're worried about for this coming week and the coming months, Lord, we can take all our little spheres of of expanding hope or contracting fear, Lord. We put those all inside of you and help us to be people who recognize that we live in Christ and for that reason, we can have hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.